I'm Tegan. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tegan. I I love these moments when we forget whose turn it is to start us off. And then we just quietly look and point at each other yeah. and silently debate before we begin recording. So, remember uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who goes first here and then who does the introduction of the episode is like I always we we should really have a chart or something you'd think we'd have this handled by now we've done like over 50 episodes we do not have this handled um but that's okay that's okay we've got a great episode today to discuss so I think we should get right into it well actually no yeah. I wanted to share something from uh the world of the office well maybe not the world of the office more like office lifestyle influence okay and as you know i have tasted on the pod the michael scott beverage scotch with splenda and ice and this weekend i was tasting bourbon and not loving it i was really feeling the burn of it and i thought you know what let's make this a michael scott added splenda added ice softens it takes off the edge takes off the burn so i just wanted to recommend the michael scott cocktail to our listeners uh all right i think i've got to try that i i still maintain we need an episode where we kind of eat the food and drink the drinks of the office so maybe that's because we are we are one episode away from the end of the season one yeah. episode away so that could be one of our post-season look back type things but uh, mm-hmm. all right at some point i will i this means i have to purchase splenda do you just have it around do you have oh, just, you're just going to starbucks or something and get a few okay okay all all right. you need, that's all you need to do don't get a whole big thing of it because i don't think you're going to use it all probably not no as much as i as much as i do highly recommend this drink i don't think you're going to make like 300 of them or however many Splenda's come in a box. So, so I don't recommend that. All right. Sounds good. The other thing I got to get into is accounting and revision and regrets. Okay. All right. Well, so um, yeah, let's head on over to the accounting. Last time or whatever. I blamed someone else for my own error. And that was when I thought I criticized the free office scripts that are available online because I I thought that um they got the office the I'm sorry that I thought that they got the quote wrong about the Amanda Bynes movie and that when it says now I can't even remember the movie titles. This is a disaster. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stop record. What am I trying to say? Um, what is the movie that Michael references? That Kelly references? She's she's the is it she's, she's the, the man is the one I thought it was, but the other Amanda Bynes movie is What a Girl uh, Wants or something. Not yeah, that. What a girl wants. Yeah, What a Girl Wants from two thousand and three. Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna. I'll just come back and revise and regret this whole thing again next time, but. <laughs> Um, you know, I checked another script. I, I, I came down hard on the scripts and I really respect the public service that they do. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, I just felt like I really did one of those things where I was blaming someone else for, mm-hmm. I was externalizing my own failure. So I wanted to acknowledge that on a related note, I wanted to acknowledge how weird it was that I kept seeing, <laughs> I kept describing Amanda Bynes movies as 
romance comedy instead of romantic comedy. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Oh, God. It's just so bizarre, romance comedy. The other thing, I didn't give context for who Wallace and Gromit are. And I don't really have much context to add, but they are the British claymation show where there is a sweet man who wears a sweater vest and his companion dog Gromit. Just felt like I, I, you know, referenced it and left a gap. So yeah, that's I, that's what I've got to say for revisions and regrets today. I get Wallace and Gromit confused with uh, Veggie Tales. <laughs> I don't know why, but Veggie Tales is like Christian, right? Is Wallace and Gromit also religious or no? It's just fun for the whole family. I think it's just fun for the whole family. I think it's just okay. kind of sweet. Okay. All right. And they're not vegetables. I think this is really easy. Wallace and Gromit are not vegetables. Veggie Tales are vegetables, and it's in the title. So um, I don't know what circuits are crossing in your head. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. The shame is coming fast and furious. And uh, and I deserve it because I have a revision and regret. I had written down just the name Andy Griffith. And uh, I intended to go watch an episode or two of the Andy Griffith show so that I could come back and sort of like either justify my my criticism of you and your family's wholesome enjoyment of Nick at Night or whatever, um, or to be, you know, bashful and be like, okay, yep, I'm ready to eat crow. Is that the phrase? Uh, and, and, but I didn't, but I did look up a little bit about the Andy Griffith show. And I did think the vibe I got was like, wow, it is so charming to me. The idea of you and your family, like watching this together. And I, anyway, so I, anyway, I didn't, I didn't look it up, but I mean, I didn't watch any yet, but I will. If you got recommendations for episodes, let me know. I will definitely give that some thought. And I think that if you come visit, we might have to get together with the family and watch Andy Griffith just to sort of, you know, let your dreams come true. <laughs> you can have the full experience. Listeners don't know this, but I have long, you know, sort of, I mean, it's like half jokingly, but it, the half that is joking is dwindling. And it's like maybe 75% joking, or I mean, 25% joking is that I want Megan's uh, mother to adopt me. And um, I don't know what the process for adopting a 40 year old like trans professor is, but, uh, you know, I'm going to, I want to look into that paperwork or something, but I just, uh, you know, I feel like making it official with not legal paperwork, but watching the show together. And maybe, didn't I say, I pictured you all drinking like warm milk and wearing the same pajamas or something. I made clear neither of those things is true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was picturing like a Christmas scene or something. I don't know, but either way, whatever it is, um, the uh, the 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 that you all do together. I, I like the idea of being inducted in, you know, as as, as a as a pseudo family member. I love I love thinking about the question of what legal precedent is there for the adoption of four year old trans professors. <laughs> What's the documentation like? It's a fairly small market, but, um, you know, it's it's one that we are into. Do you ever have moments, this is not precisely related, but do you ever have moments when you're like, oh, yeah, like, the, 
that's a really niche interest that I have. And I, you know, you sort of think everybody's really into this. And it's like, oh, no, they are not. Uh, or, you know, like, oh, everybody has this experience. And it's like, no, they don't. Um, anyway, I don't know if this ever happens to you. It frequently occurs for me in the context of teaching, uh-huh. or talking to anybody in the workplace. <laughs> like, oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, well, this might be one of those things. Well, I have one other revision and regret, and it is legitimately about the episode. Um, but did you have any others before I bring mine up? Actually, I meant to immediately after we recorded, I remembered some things that I had wanted to mention and did not mention. I no longer know what those are. Man, I really relate to you. <laughs> Uh, my other one is about Andy's role in the funtivities of beach games. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm amused. I meant to say I'm sort of amused by his ongoing um, post anger management. Uh, mm. Yeah. Like character arc, um, which comes up in this episode too, like as a reference. And, um, but what really I felt like we failed as literature professors to like, I don't, I don't know if we're really living up to our podcast because I felt that the Dwight Angela like interaction and then Angela's like, uh, you know, attempted murder of Andy perhaps gave me real Macbeth vibes. And I got this kind of like Angela as, as the like, um, you know, kind of villain who's orchestrating Dwight's rise to power and willing to do anything, um, including pushing Andy in his sumo wrestler suit or whatever to into the into the lake or something. Um, That's a good but, point. Anyway, so I just felt like I missed out on a Macbeth uh, reference. Yeah, the Angela in this episode today when she says goodbye, Kelly Kapoor. Yes. Wow, it's getting it's getting dark with Angela, isn't it? Feel dark. <laughs> One thing I guess from last time that I failed to acknowledge and should have was Michael Sandel's shirt. Mm. Oh, right. Of course. Yes. Love. I think, did he have the hat too? Just uh, love to see, love to see a callback to Sandals Jamaica. Totally. So should we get into it? Yeah, I'll just say we didn't have any messages in our inbox, but if you are a listener and you want to write to us, you can always do so at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com we read them on the air unless you don't want us to read them on the air we don't have to uh and you can pose questions or give us you know gentle criticisms make them gentle uh suggestions whatever you want. Um, harsh criticisms elsewhere yeah, yeah we're, we're fragile okay <laughs> this is just a fun hobby for us all right uh yeah. <laughs> uh send in your thought try the scotch and splenda let us know what you think mm-hmm. yeah is it a sacrilege or is it brilliant? Um, all right. Well, so this is, I'm trying to find the, okay. So it's season three. Is this technically episode 24? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Um, and it is the job part one uh, that we're talking about today. And, and the, as you have found, the DVD version, it's just all one long yeah job episode but on the streaming version it's split into two that's really interesting i know i wonder why um but the peacock i don't know how it originally aired 
you know, like, did they have a get a spot where they had a double spot to do that episode? I don't know. But as our listeners know, we can barely keep a 22 minute episode under two hours. So we had to do them in two parts. Yeah, 1000%. Um, I was just trying to see if it aired. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, we'll find out later, but I, it seems as if it aired all in one go, um, like back to back, like a long, like a special or something, but, um, but we're not doing it that way, uh, because we appreciate, uh, narrative structure and, uh, and it said part one. So the description is Jim and Karen head to New York to compete for the promotion. Michael puts Dwight in charge. Jan wants another chance. Hmm. Shall we start from the beginning today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Michael is in New York, and he has shown up a day early for his interview for the job at corporate. Michael. <laughs> oh, I felt for him here. Brutal. So he's sitting, I'll just read the read the dialogue here. So he's sitting in the waiting room at the corporate office. David Wallace walks in, exciting for me, obviously. He says, oh, Michael, isn't our interview tomorrow? Michael, yes, I just happened to be in the neighborhood, thought I'd drop in, say hello. David, just happened to be in Midtown Manhattan? Michael, thought I'd catch a show. David, middle of a workday? Michael, no, you know what, since I'm here, let me ask you a few questions about the job. One thing I cannot capture in reading this is the facial expression. So both David's pause when he's asking, isn't our interview tomorrow and Michael's face as he processes it and then says, yes, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. So let me start with this question. Were you impressed by Michael's improv? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, even just the, the shift to, um, you know, let me ask you some questions about the job since I'm here. I thought it was pretty smooth. Yeah, that was good. I thought that was a good move too. <laughs> um, and then I was, I mean, I found it very charming. I felt like David Wallace found it charming the way he used those questions to uh, illuminate his strengths, right? What he, he yes. says, um, <laughs> have you, just out of curiosity, are you interviewing um, anyone who's been long here, long, here longer than I have? Um, I don't think so. One more question. When you merge those branches, who did you put in charge? I believe we put you in charge. Um, I was like, that's, that's clever. That's a good, uh, you know, strategy. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Uh, and, and I know you love David Wallace. Like, I feel like he's potentially your Toby. Um, mm. Perhaps your Dwight uh, for me. So I'm just, yeah there's, yeah, there's an argument to be made there. I, <sighs> I thought it was great. I thought I thought David was very kind. Um, I thought he was kind and receptive to Michael. And I I really did feel for Michael in this. This is very embarrassing. <laughs> but he he recovered. He recovered well, I think, and pretty quickly. And um, I think the shift, I think he, he, it was a pivot, the pivot move to the questions was definitely a good one. One of my favorite parts though, is when he says it cuts to the, he's finished with David and it cuts to the interview 
with him and he says, I got it made in the shade. I know, or I guess it's not really an interview. Like he's kind of just talking to the camera while he's still in the waiting room and he's about to call him or the reception, not waiting room, reception area. So he says, I've got it made in the shade. I know this company. The other branch managers are total morons. And then Pam, he's on the phone, his flip phone, and Pam picks up and he says, hey, Pam, yeah, I forgot what day the interview was and I drove to New York accidentally. I'll be like three hours late. (laughs) So I thought it was so funny the way it put together him describing the other branch managers as morons and then saying this totally moronic thing, but without embarrassment, just like, I got it wrong. I'm going to be three hours late. (laughs) Is I got it made in the shade a phrase that you've ever heard before? I've never heard that before. I don't think I've heard it outside of this, but I have picked it up from this show. Oh, really? Oh, man. Okay. I got to listen for that. I find many opportunities to say it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I rarely have the feeling that I've got it made in the shade. Um, But Michael's confidence here is, is enviable. Yeah, I love the I'm really looking for and I'm looking I'm really looking forward to working with you is his response to David's I'm looking forward to our interview and I was like clever. And what's so funny is David walks off and then Michael looks at the receptionist or, you know, and she, (laughs) you know, is kind of like, you know, and I don't know, it's very charming. (laughs) He thinks he's crushed it and she's like, oof, we're so thirsty for this job. (laughs) But let's talk about that for just a second. I mean, one question I'm going to have for you just is what do you have a theory or a thought about interviews and the interview process for a job like this? Um, and why do you think Michael wants this job? Like, does he want this job? Like, what is this about for him? Because um, it seems like he's already decided it's going to happen. It's it's a guaranteed situation since he sold his condo. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. Let's see. Well, one thing I was actually thinking about as you were talking about this and describing it as charming is wondering what has happened to you in relation to Michael? Because one way to look at this would be that it's so it's cheesy and it's inappropriate and it is not a none of this is a good move but you're describing it as charming so i am going to want to hear more about that i mean an interview for a job like this i don't know i mean i think there's always a kind of balance that you're trying to strike between confidence and cockiness and his over overextended sense of having it made in the shade on the one hand is cocky but at the same time it is sort of endearing just because it's so off base Mm -hmm. and it's so dumb and so everyone else immediately knows like michael no do not sell your condo you know do not take this as a done thing the question of whether he wants it or why he wants it is really interesting because he loves his branch and he thinks of it as a family and he is quick here to be willing to leave his family. Mm-hmm. It sort of felt like when David called and invited him to apply or to interview for it, he was so taken aback and so flattered by it that it almost felt like he, it's really about that. Like the honor of being asked seems to have been enough. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely plays to his ego um, in that way. And yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it, on the one hand, it feels, yeah, slightly out of character to imagine him in the city, to imagine him not, yeah, he's not going to be sort of at the top of the food chain. Yeah. If he were to have this job. Um, and he doesn't seem especially ambitious. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's but and I keep wondering too when people were watching this for the very first time, was there suspense just in the idea that he might leave? Because the last season essentially ended with splitting our focus, right? So that um Jim was in Stanford. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? And then yeah. and so the show cut back and forth. And I wonder if they were queuing people up to think, oh my God, Michael's gonna leave, and now we're gonna cut back and forth between corporate and um uh uh scranton or whatever i don't know but you know i mean that's the other way to look at it is like regardless of whatever his character and motivation might be like the writer's motivation is to tempt us with the idea that dwight you know could become uh the true the real manager finally and that michael could you know i don't know be in a whole new scenario of problems and stuff yeah yeah hmm that's interesting to think about. But something else changes in this episode, and I know you have opinions about it, or I suspect that you do. It's Jim's hair, isn't it? Jim got a haircut, <laughs> and I think it is sexy, I gotta say. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa, okay. I like, I like a pretty boy. <laughs> Let's... <laughs> All right, so you are with Meredith. It's sexy hot. Turn he tells she tells him to turn around. Yep. <laughs> okay, why? What attracts I think I mean on the one hand I don't I don't know. I don't like the idea of Jim becoming like preppy, but mm -hmm. in some ways maybe it's like my associations with John Krasinski or maybe it's like my theory that Jim was popular but he kind of plays as a slacker but he's actually kind of a Anyway, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it feels like it fits his personality, actually, a little bit more than the mm -hmm. scruffy hair, maybe. But put all that aside, I just think he looks good. I think he looks like a little, mm, I don't know. This is the only time that I really ever thought uh, Jim was hot. And, mm -hmm. but it also, maybe it's his confidence in the episode. Like, I like his... Um, you know, when he's like flirting with Karen, she's like, let's go early. And he's like, oh, I got all this paperwork up, oh, you know, or at the even at the end of the episode, when he takes her hand, and he's like this way, like, I don't know, I like his, uh, his boldness. Okay, okay, you've gotten hooked by the gym. <laughs> you, so Just since you briefly, since you were not super into the office, do you feel like your exposure to John Krasinski began as Jim from the office or began as who he is now being all like muscly action hero, hot guy? It's a great question. I, I definitely, I knew him from the office first. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think I had that thought of like, Oh man, he's going to become an action hero. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's going to maybe like also be conservative. What? Anyway, I don't know. So, uh, but um, I didn't really have, I didn't really know very much and didn't have many associations with Jim either, other than just like, oh, okay, he's like the lead and he's the romantic guy. I don't know. What about you? Did you have a journey with him 
as a public figure? I just, I can't, I can't see him as this guy with a six pack. Now it's really, really weird. And I don't know anything about him sort of outside of his acting, but like about his personal life or anything like that. But I just, in seeing him, I have seen him in some other things and it's just weird because the gymness of him is just there and is so strong for me and is so different than that. Now you said there's an essential gymness. What, mm-hmm. what like what would you describe that? Like what is that the actual Krasinski lacks that he that he has? Being sort of normal. Yeah. Just being a very a normal guy, like who does not have a six pack and who isn't hard. You know, like if you run into his stomach, it's not like hitting a wood board when it's gym. So just to be clear, you prefer Nerf Jim? I do. I prefer Nerf Jim. I do prefer Nerf Jim. However, when Jim walks in, Kevin says, what's different about you? You look worse. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that as his opening statement. And I think Kevin's right. I think he looks worse. Although, let me add a caveat to that. So during this season, he's had... I've talked about this before, this wig, because it like his hair looks different than it did in past seasons. It looks sometimes very fake and very bad. So now this looks like his actual hair. This looks better than the wig hair looked, but he looks so dorky. Maybe that's what I like about it. I think it might be. I think it might be. Oh my God, you're right. There's a big upside. There is a big upside to that. I think even when he talks about the haircut, I think it kind of put him in his place a little bit. Like, you know, he talks about Karen wanting him to get a haircut and he did it and he doesn't seem totally comfortable with it. Yep. I think it is a positive reinforcement when Pam says, I think it looks great. Uh, yeah. You know, he doesn't seem totally comfortable with it and he looks very dorky and so there's something endearing about that but it just doesn't seem like it's quite the right haircut well let's talk a little bit about pam uh and like what she's okay uh what is pam doing and what is does uh, yeah what's she doing because she says i think it looks great thanks pam and then obviously karen is getting jealous karen will have this hilarious i think and fascinating moment when she's like pam's kind of a bitch and i really can't wait to get your analysis of that but at the you know we're we're reminded by the episode that this is just after beach games and so uh to read into the record pam says after i had my little outburst at the beach jim was really nice about it he basically said that he missed my friendship too and I would always mean a lot to him. And I understand where he's coming from. For the record, I'm not embarrassed at all. It needed to be said, and I said it. And it only took me three years to summon the courage. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of gets picked up later when people are teasing her around the um, vending machine. And, you know, Oscar says, I've been meaning to say something to you. I miss your friendship. Kelly describes what she's done as pathetic-ville. Um mm-hmm. And no offense, Pam. And then soon after that, when she's interacting with Karen, Karen says something, I can't remember where it is, but something along the lines of like, um, we all 
say things uh, we don't mean or whatever, you know, we, we all, you know, think we, things we weren't thinking or something like that. And yeah. Pam's like, no, I meant what I said. I just, I'm sorry if it was weird for you. So yeah. I'm really fascinated by this thread and mm-hmm. want your thoughts on it because on the one hand, she's kind of asserting herself and her, her desire to have a kind of rapport with Jim Mm-hmm. Um, she's not retreating, which I thought was like really great character development. It's not like all or nothing. She's flipped a switch and yeah. now she's suddenly like super Pam, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I felt like there, it was a really wonderful payoff to an arc that's been building ever since maybe the, um, what do you call it? The, the art, art gallery, um, episode or something like that. But what bothered me though, is she calls it her little outburst. And I was like, it was not that, you know, I don't know. And I couldn't tell if that was, is she, is that her internal uh, narration of it? Or is that her um, kind of quoting what she imagines everybody else thinks? But she says, I'm not embarrassed, even though she just calls it. Anyway, I was curious what you made about all of this. I I was so fascinated by Pam here. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) when Karen, when Karen said, Pam is kind of a bitch. I wanted to ask you, is Pam being kind of a bitch? And I kind of thought, yes. I mean, on the one hand, it's this might be a, a sexist interpretation for me to think that. But because you know, she is asserting what she wants. She is being confident. But I also feel like she kind of did it to Karen in a way that was mean and that wasn't necessary because her apology did not seem sincere and what she said was I'm just I'm sorry if it made you feel weird so it's not that she has to apologize to me for doing like for for saying it or for feeling that or whatever but there was just something about the I'm sorry if it made you feel weird that seemed dismissive and seems like it would have I don't know I, I got it. I got Karen's reaction to it. But say, finish that thought. You're saying it feels a little weird. Or what was it you were saying? Um, she says, I'm sorry if it made you feel weird. And so that, it felt dismissive to Karen. Of Karen's uh, actual discomfort? Yeah, of her actual discomfort. And yeah. Yeah. I think Do you have- yeah. A kind of alternative avenue in mind? Like, would it be better for Pam to not address it at all? Or do you think she should, it was the right thing to do to kind of have like a moment with her, but say something else? Hmm. I think it's almost to me the if part of it. Uh-huh. You know, it's just that we've talked about this before, the the kind of apologies that's like, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. That kind of puts it back onto the person. I think it's good. It is there and it's weird. And so it is good to confront it. Um, but the, if it made you feel weird, I think I'd prefer an acknowledgement that's more like, I know I made it weird. Like it was what I was thinking. I've been thinking it for a long time, but I also get it that it made it weird for you. I've never so identified with Pam as I do here and in this episode. So 
I am I, I am a messy bitch, just like Pam, I think. And <laughs> what I love about Pam is that she is being emotionally authentic. And <laughs> I think that I always, for better and sometimes much worse, <laughs> I prioritize, like I value like kind of emotional expression and authenticity over um anything else <laughs> including like yeah like i don't know practice the practical fallout of it or something mm -hmm. so i can relate to her uh kind of she's trying to take it in stride people are teasing her about it and um and i wondered how she felt there did she feel humiliated like at the vending machine or not but i got the impression that she was no she like yeah i didn't think so what either. she says here which is like yeah no i meant what i said mm -hmm. and whatever so but here's my response to what you're saying, because I, I don't fully disagree, but Pam mm -hmm. says, um, about the beach. And Karen says, it's okay, we all say things without thinking, mm -hmm. I find to be dismissive and That's a good point. Yeah. judgy in a way. Um, and she says it's okay before Pam has said, like, what it is that she's going to say about it. So... So I do wonder about that, like, to what extent Karen's response there makes Pam actually like a little more defensive or mm -hmm. something. Um, I don't know. But at the same time, like, Pam's playing a dangerous game. <laughs> <laughs> she really is. And also, I do agree with you. Don't say I'm sorry if anything. Like, if you're going to say sorry, just fucking own it. Um yeah. Do you think she didn't need to say sorry at all? Because I think um, uh, Jen would say um, she should have just gone in and like not acknowledged or addressed it because, you know, sit in the sit in your power that, you know, you know, that it's that you were right. She would not phrase it that way. She would cringe at the fact that I phrased it that way. But nonetheless, but she's like never apologize unless blah, 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 blah. Whereas I'm like, I'll apologize for anything. You want me to apologize for last year? Like, you know, I don't know. What do you think she shouldn't have even made an effort to apologize for something? I think I like just calling something awkward when it's awkward. Yeah. I think it makes sense to address that. As far as apologizing, I think only to do it if she really feels it but I think what I would like is a more direct or more sincere acknowledgement of yeah I, I do get it that I made it weird for you yeah I see that I and, think I like, yeah, she did. I'll say the time when I'm more most charmed by Pam here is when she's a little more self-deprecate like in the interviews when she's kind of more self-deprecating about it when, like when she says and it only took me three years to summon the courage yeah uh so I like those parts but Karen I think you're right Like it, it goes it goes both ways here and that it is dismissive to say oh we all say things without thinking though that also feels almost like it's a self-protective thing for Karen like to just I don't know clean it up like it's better for Karen if Pam said something that she when she wasn't thinking and she doesn't really mean it and immediately right. after that Karen walks out and then asks Jim to go spend the night in New York. Mm -hmm. So it feels like her asking Jim to do that is as much a response to Pam as anything. Absolutely. Like yeah. a claiming of territory and taking Jim off of the office territory. 
And that I think gets reaffirmed too when like Jim and Pam are um whatever, like kind of talking about Jan's breasts, and mm-hmm. then Karen wants to jump in on that. Like she's jealous and maybe she should be. I don't know. I mean, yeah, she should be. Like we know. I mean, the whole audience is rooting for Jim and Pam, right? Are they? Because like at this point, I'm like, like Karen deserves better, but I don't, I don't know what I feel about who I want with whom. But anyway, I think your point is really affirmed by the final scene where she's basically like, what's going to happen if I get the job versus you? And that's set up in an intriguing way when Pam says, I really hope you get the job. And she mm-hmm. says, thanks. And then looks at the camera with, you know, suspicion. Yeah. And I was wondering what you thought about, because there is definitely a moment where I'm like, Pam, you shady bitch. I love this because I'm like, she's being, I think, authentic. But Karen is smart. She knows the implication is like, you get the job, you leave. I get Jim. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a kind of a biting comment, I think. And then this comes up. Karen addresses it directly after. So at the end, after she's asked Jim. Or it's right, maybe it's right before, but when they're having the, the conversation about what they would do if they get the, if one of them gets the job and she wants to know, would he come? She says basically like, I would move with you to New York. Would you move with me if I'm the one who gets the job? And she says, we don't have a future in Scranton. There's one too many people there. And I think it is so funny when Jim says, you mean Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny, but also then it makes playful and then does not directly acknowledge or like give the chance to actually process the thing Mm. that they probably do need to process, but they spent a lot of long nights processing it already. So, you know, can understand that Jim wants to just pass it on to Kevin. Yeah. Kevin's assessment. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it was just funny the way that Jim's like, why don't you take the rest of the day and figure it out and come back and tell me what you've got about when he's comparing. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of all of that, but it was just amusing Kevin's role in this episode and his kind of, he's voicing the audiences like, who are you rooting for? Are you, are you for Karen or Pam? And Uh But this episode does, yeah, I mean, we'll come back to that when we get to Jan's uh, breasts and the whole office's reactions to that. But there was a there was something going on with appearances yet again. Um, yeah. But I'm curious if you, well, I, I can't wait to get there anymore. I'm just going to go. This is my favorite moment in the whole episode, and I don't ever know how we're going to transition to it. I just love it <laughs> so much, which is... Um, so Meredith says, don't even worry about it. Everyone was so drunk. I bet no one even remembers what you said. <laughs> and Creed says, I remember. I blogged the whole thing. <laughs> www.creedthoughts.gov.www slash creedthoughts. Uh, check it out. And this is a real website, a real blog that was maintained from 2007 to 2008. And I had froze the image and took a picture of what he wrote. But then I found the blog and have pulled up the very first post <laughs> that was included in the episode. So if I may, I would like to read Creed thoughts into the record. Please. I didn't know this was available online. I actually paused the show and took a picture of the screen when Same. we his word document. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, here's a link to the blog. If you want to click on also, it. Can I just point out that I love that he has 
dot gov. Yes. I mean, not the, it looks like the actual link, the actual website is gov.com since you can't get a .gov, but um, hilarious. Official, you know, I mean, that's an, an official, official U.S. government sources. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the actual link, just in case anybody wants to go, is creedthoughtsgov.com, um, and that'll take you there. And then you get to go back through the archive to get to the very first post, which is the one included in the episode. And it's from May 17, 2007. Um, and that is the day that this episode aired. Um, so I think that's kind of a fun little mm-hmm. treat for us. Anyway, here's the whole post. hey everyone out there in cyber world. It's old Creed Bratton coming at you again. Sorry, coming at your again here from my perch <laughs> as a quality assurance manager at Dunder Mifflin Paper. Just a few observations on the world around me. What do you guys think is the best kind of car? To me, you can't beat motorcycles. They're small and dangerous. I got into a car accident yesterday and I just took off. It didn't look too bad. The guy was making a big deal out of it, but come on, dogs don't live forever. Sometimes when I'm sick or feeling blue, I drink vinegar. I like all kinds, balsamic, vodka, orange juice, leaves. Working in an office is fine, but I'd rather be a millionaire in brackets. Elaborate on this. It's interesting. Maybe trademark it too. Today in my office where I work as director of quality assurance, we went to the beach for some reason that was never adequately explained. When we were there, our manager told us to eat hot coals. I thought that was a little bit untoward, so I ate a fish. Then a woman I I have literally never seen before in my entire life started talking very loudly about something involving Halpert. She was agitated, I'd say. From what I could guess, she was definitely on drugs of some kind, perhaps cocaine, maybe dreams. Also, she is a knockout. She reminds me of a young Daphne du Maurier. Also, I stupidly ate the fish bones. I told myself never again after the last time, but then you turn around and bam, they're in your mouth. I also ate 55 hot dogs in 15 minutes, which is a world record. Everybody remembers April showers bring May flowers, but no one remembers how the rest of that goes, which I find so frustrating. Prediction, the Orioles will win the World Series over the Pirates in seven games. Prediction, the space program will be renamed the Outer Space Program by 2060. Prediction, someday we will be able to travel faster than sound. We will, quote, break the sound barrier. Prediction, note in brackets, need more predictions. Reminder, Michael's safe combo is 26, 32, 20. Hmm. Well, is this a... Before you, before we move on, this is a picture of the young Daphne du Maurier, um, just in case you were uh, curious. Um, huh. Interesting. Is she, is this like 1920s based on the hair, the necklace and the shoulder yeah. of that shirt? So is he comparing Pam to Daphne du Maurier? I think so. That's wild. This is interesting this is like a combination of what comes from the show and fan fiction because in the show it only goes through to me you can't be motorcycles they're small and dangerous right so this somebody just uh took the liberty of elaborating and filling in some of the things that creed mentions blogging about but had not actually written you think it was a writer of the show like i i wonder who did it that's a good question I do not know. Um, but I want to point out something that they got wrong here. Creed, in the actual show, Creed thinks that apostrophes are commas. 
Mm. He says, for example, it's short for it is. He puts between the T and the S a comma rather than an apostrophe. Um, he also does this with can't and there. So like between the they and the RE, it's a comma instead of an apostrophe. And I thought that was such a creative, tiny grammatical detail that was such a fun and brilliant thing to put into the episode. That's awesome. That's so good. And, you know, finally, we've been able to bring this back to grammar and punctuation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've let that slide. We've let that slide. I think uh, his observations about the world around me, what do you guys think is the best kind of car? Reminds me of the Jim as Dwight question. What is the best kind of bear? Yes. You know, it's an interesting question. <laughs> you can't beat motorcycles. I don't know. It is. It is pretty wild. I think Ryan, too. This was a highlight of Ryan for me. I thought, and I do not always like Ryan, but I thought this was a great idea to give him a Word document and keep the world safe from his thoughts. I which, thought that was so funny. How does Ryan describe it? That even for the internet, it's pretty shocking, something along those lines. When I was uh, looking this up, uh, I just was curious about like the history of blogs and just thought it was interesting a little bit like blogs are created in 97 hmm. um or it was coined in 97 and um develops in 99 but it doesn't really reach mass popularity until like 2006 so it's like or 2004 to 2006 hmm. and this is what did i say 2007 you know so it's a really it's like really at that moment and hmm. it kind of crest i think around 2012 or 2013 probably when Twitter huh. um emerges. Anyway, it's kind of like I remember blog. I remember the first time like hearing about blogs. I'm like, what the fuck's a blog? And like <laughs> and then people had blogs. And then kind of anyway, it feels like a genre that's somewhat, I don't know, dead. I mean, I, I it's shifted into vlogs, I guess. People still do that, I suppose, but I don't know. Did this was this revealing to you at all about Creed? Like, did this change? your perception of creed in any way to learn that he is a blocker <laughs> no i just i i think i think i i go back and forth on like do how much zany do i like in the office and this season i remember feeling like it started out a little too zany and then we mm -hmm. got regrounded a little bit andy for me is like a problematic character in this way like he yeah. can get a little too zany for my taste and I think that sometimes that's what you don't like about Creed maybe is the like yeah. kind of it's he's almost like a surreal absurdist yeah. and but I like these little dashes you know so I really enjoy this as a window into some kind of madness or something but yeah I, I don't know but it didn't really change my perspective of him I enjoyed his own natural comment um Ooh. Yeah, we got to talk about that. I love that comment. So funny. I thought it was hilarious. I think you're. I think this is one of those examples where it hits the zany in some way, but it's it's close enough to the line of believable. Because if you think about it, I mean, when the internet was newer, I actually I remember the first time my uncle showed me the internet, and I was like, "What is this?" Like it did not make sense, and not that it was in 2007. So not that Creed hadn't been on the internet. But 
people have varying levels of familiarity, like with the internet and with how you make a website and stuff like that. I think there are some people that you could convince, or at least could have convinced them that this word document was like uploading for public consumption, right? Thousand percent. Yeah. 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 As just a quick side note, by the way, literally today. So uh, this is boring, but um, in my classes, I'm having them, uh, they're submitting revisions of their essays and I'm making them track changes Mm -hmm. uh, so that I can see their revisions. And I like really, I was like, it's part of the grade. Like if you turn in an essay without the track changes, like it's just going to get a zero. And so it was like, you know, here are instructions on how to turn on track changes in Microsoft Word. And people were like, I don't have Microsoft Word. And I'm like, yes, you do. Like Google, you can do it in Google Docs and download it that way. You know, our our college has OneDrive and that comes with Microsoft Word, but whatever. Like it's like all of these programs, Apple Pages, Adobe, they can all track changes. Here's how you do it. And I pulled it up in class to show them how it works. And like in every class I did it, there were a number of students who audibly went, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so I was saying to a friend of mine today who has a number of children and a number of them still in, you know, um, elementary, middle and high school. And I said, what are they doing in their computer classes? And she was like, oh, Tegan, they do not have computer classes anymore. And I was like, well, okay, well, so then who teaches them? like what Microsoft Word can do, because my impression is, you know, Excel, Word, like that shit is still the the default and we need to know how to do crap like that all the time. You yeah. know, I'm like having to Google, like, what do I do with Excel? Whatever, the point is yeah. that um, she was like, nobody teaches them. So, because we have this narrative that they're like digital natives who grow up with, they yeah. know how to text, but they don't necessarily know how to track changes or those other kind of functions. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, so I'm, it's funny to imagine back then you could kind of people had no idea how certain things worked yeah and we assume now like oh everybody knows you know and yeah you probably wouldn't trick them that what they're writing is immediately going on the internet but still I was just sort of shocked I don't know I don't know it's a random but it shocked me yeah oh that is fascinating I guess the thing with Creed too is actually if you do write something onto a website that does go public it's not actually that different than a word doc like yeah right like the differences are kind of subtle actually and it doesn't make that much sense if you don't already know it and so this is within the realm for me of acceptable creed and i i thought this was very funny yeah super funny so you've brought up the au natural (laughs) comment so should we go and talk about Jan's arrival in the office? Let's do it. Okay. So yeah, you start. Jan, Jan walks in just to say where we're at. Jan arrives and Michael asks, doesn't he this isn't the first thing he says, why? Yes. <laughs> Are you here? Um, so she arrives, she walks in unannounced. She's looking, I really like her outfit. She's wearing jeans and she's got this kind of cargo-y, slightly, does it look slightly, I don't know if the military is the right word, but a jet, one of those sort of chunky jackets with like pockets on the top and on the bottom and a tie waist. I think it looks very cute, but you want to say- You agree? Okay, great outfit. And her makeup is fantastic, I thought. Jan's looking great. I mean, she would be hard for any of us to- resist it sounds like it sounds like for us the uh 
the outfit and the makeup are key are key drawing factors here. But Michael immediately is upset. He goes to Pam and asks her to assemble the ladies in the conference room. And so he sets up this thing where Jan is in his office and his ladies are in the conference room to advise him. Tegan, what did you think about this whole scene? Um, I actually didn't like it very much. Uh, and for a basic reason, I just thought it was too much of a replay of two episodes back in the mall. I was just like, you oh. already gathered these people together. Like, I understand character-wise why Michael would want to turn to them as his, like, counsel or whatever. But I actually thought it was kind of, like, not... I was like, there was, there, there's, like, a missed opportunity here to do something funnier than just kind of gather them together, get pumped up by them briefly, and then just like not listen to their advice. Like, I don't know. I mean, I like the I like that element that he goes in and he's like, I'm gonna tell her this. And then the 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 breasts, uh, you know, make his mind explode and he uh can't focus on anything else. That part was funny to me, but I just thought like, eh, especially because I was like, okay, you've keyed up that Pam and Karen are having some tension, but we've already played that out in the exact mall scene where it's like one of them saying sometimes you should stick it out and some you should blow it. So I just, I, I felt like we didn't get anything new there. So that was my thought. What did you think about it? I wish I had thought out a better argument against you on this. <laughs> and I'm prepared to fight because I do like it. And is it not realistic that you need multiple, even when you kind of know what you want and the thing to do that sometimes you need to be told multiple times. Yes. I am remembering the times when Michael before would call a group of men for this kind of thing, like to go to Benihana, for example, and he had kind of his crew of men. And so in this, I sort of liked a repeat of it being the women. And there's something interesting about how Michael has become inserted into this supportive circle of women who are then there on the other side of the wall to help him talk through his feelings. I thought it was hilarious how Pam asks, should I call Meredith? And he at first says no. And then he says, she's an alternate. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of people on this as an alternate. But uh, I, I had no problem and I enjoyed this. Well, I will say, I think the dialogue itself is, is, is pretty good. I, I think it's just the... I felt like there was a missed opportunity, but uh, the part that I really enjoyed is the uh, you're so much happier now. Just go in there and be strong. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm um, wait, no crap. That's not it. Uh, where is it? Uh, oh, here it is. He, she says, just don't get back together with her. What if she makes me, how can she make you get back together with her? She made me do a lot of things I didn't want to do. Oh, <laughs> and, my and I just really like, I don't know. I mean, partly felt like, I don't know, maybe this is revealing too much, but I felt like I related to Michael, like that feeling of, you know, like a breakup and, you know, I don't know, the idea that somebody can somehow kind of make you do, you know, make you go back against yeah. your desires. I don't know. I get that idea. And, but the way that it's read and played is hilarious. And even if it is also most certainly uh, making joke about non-consensual uh, things, although we we kind of talked about how it's like 
that played out in their relationship with him, her wanting like lots more kinks and criticism of him and him not really being on board for that. So like, anyway, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny, yeah. but yeah. What do you think? I mean, Jan is Jana, as Michael says, in a different place now. Um, and it's a sign of maturity to give people second chances. Like, why do you think she's back? Why do you think she's, um, well, Michael really, Michael really gets overwhelmed by the power of the tits. <laughs> I mean, my God, he he walks into that room. So like we said, she's come in in this jacket. It's sort of a canvas, like a thicker fabric jacket. So it doesn't really show chest size very much. If we go back to his cons list, I mean, Jan coming back, she has changed in that one of the things on his cons list was that she's totally flat chested. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, so she has changed in a way that was relevant um, to his list, though he says that it is not just about the boob job, excuse me, boob enhancement. Let me make a note about terminology. I hate the word boob and the word breasts. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I've been more comfortable with tits. <laughs> All right, we can talk about tits. I, I defaulted to breast, you know, uh, without asking you your preference. Um, <laughs> well, you do not have to cater to my language preferences on this. Um, but I think what I have is a, a bit of a controversial opinion. Um, but that is that is my my opinion. But um, when he goes in, so she has just she has taken off that jacket. And now she just has this low cut V-neck white shirt. And those things are bold and alert. And uh, I think the way that it plays, how there's like not even really dialogue there, but how he goes in all charged up to tell her no. And he just sees her and her new chest and is like, uh. <laughs> Which I love as a, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I want to talk about like, Jan's character a little bit like I'm not quite sure what to do with all this but just as a joke about Michael and his <laughs> superficiality yeah. yes um, and how that overrides his actual authentic feelings yes. is yeah. really fucking funny and he says um uh da, 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 it's the opposite of shallow this is emotionally magnificent which <laughs> I texted you I just that phrase I really want to work into my vocabulary emotionally magnificent. <laughs> um, but yeah, what do you think? I mean, she's claiming, what does she say? Um, basically, like, she's in a different place or something. She's kind of made changes. She's ready to prioritize things in a different way. Do you take her at her word? Do you think she's, like, why does she want him back? I don't know. Who wouldn't want Michael back, I guess? <laughs> Uh, pass hard pass <laughs> oh yeah you're going for Jim now <laughs> oh you know it's it's only it's always and only been Dwight for me <laughs> and now he's manager so you know he's got that C ring I'm excited for that you know and uh <laughs> yeah but Jan uh Michael's kind to her you know that's true He's kind to her and um, 
I don't know. I don't know. I um, I think it's genuine. Like, I, I, I think she, I mean, she may have mixed and complicated feelings about him, but I do think that she wants to be with him. And it was him. It was he, he was the one who broke up with her. Not exactly, I mean, sort of over the phone message that she then received while she was in his office talking to him. So the whole end of it, I mean, it was a weird ending to kind of have it break in that way. And so for things for her to feel unresolved is understandable. Yeah, I I, uh, I get that. I'm curious about her choice, though, to get um, the boob job. Is it because she uh, was aware of Michael's kind of like, you know, it was on his list like is it specifically for him is this a yeah like I, I was wondering if you've had a theory of her motive uh or her the, the story she's telling herself about this bodily transition I felt like it was for her I didn't feel like that was information that he had given her it was on his list but it was also this sort of ridiculous list where it didn't feel like that wasn't really the con for Michael, it seems to me. Um, and it was not a con in terms of his attraction to her. It was not a con until there were other, like there were other cons, basically, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't yeah, yeah. negative. It wasn't a problem before. There were other problems where he then wanted to generate a list of problems that would kind of bury the lead and bury what the real problem was. and not being happy when he's with her. I think, I feel like Jan is going through things, through feelings about herself. And yeah, so I, I think it was more, I think it's more about herself, but I think she also knows that it's something that she can use to gain power back over Michael. I think that's such an interesting point about the way the boobs command power. Um, and specifically power over Michael and how that's sort of juxtaposed with everyone else's reactions. Um, and on the one hand, we can think about it in terms of our long standing conversation about, you know, what is it like for women in the workplace? And, um, you know, what is the show sort of doing with feminism or not doing with it? And, um, and so, you know, we sort of see Michael immediately just magnetized and stupefied by um you know uh her enhancements but meanwhile meredith is like it's a waste of money um yeah. kevin is a fan and he says no. i the way that he sort of says often you find them on strippers is like yeah, such yeah. anthropological statement or something is <laughs> so funny to me because he's the sort of not crassest but like the most like kind of horny or whatever and inappropriate mm -hmm. in that way and yeah so the way he said it so objectively um creed is offended because he prefers natural uh quote-unquote natural and then um uh oh and then meanwhile you've got jim and pam i thought they i was kind of offended by what they were doing if i'm being honest the way that they're like kind of making these hand gestures to demonstrate how big and then karen gets in on that yeah and I kept thinking, so, you know, there's, there's that way to read it, but I also kept thinking about it from a trans perspective, um, because, you know, uh, part of my experience of transition is like growing boobs <laughs> and, um, 
And it's just a weird, it's like a weird idea to me, not weird. It's like a, it's a strange experience to sort of imagine one day showing up at work with a, <laughs> with a different body. Yeah, and yeah. In my job, like I go away for the summer and I come back in the fall or whatever, and mm-hmm. my body will look different. And so there's that kind of gap or whatever. But in the absence of that, I'm around these people every day and my body is like kind of slowly changing. It's very strange to have a puberty at 40. Um, but, but I keep thinking about that kind of like, I don't want, like, I, I don't want people to look at my body. I don't want, I don't want this attention. I don't want, um, and I don't, and I, and part of it is like, Oh, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. And I kept thinking about like, I wonder how Jan or a woman who has, you know, a breast, enlargement i don't know what you act what is the technical term for it i don't know augmentation uh, i want to say whatever you know i was just thinking about how like you know there's so much shame around it and at the very same time it's this like normative ideal you know that like yeah, yeah. supposedly you know you're you, you, i don't know yeah i was curious what, you, what your thoughts were on all of this um it's and a- i need to know why you prefer why you don't like the word boob and breast i need to know that as well but it's like the mouth feel. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Boob feels, I like boob because it sounds silly, but uh-huh. also uh, I don't like the, it's like other words. I just don't. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes me, me cringe. I like the kind of hard triangularity of, of tits, honestly, <laughs> um, as opposed to the like very round, like, I don't know, mushy sounding boob. Like it just, I, I don't care for it. Um, <laughs> Not for not for good reasons. Um, but this is making me think about what a complicated power it is that she has because she is, I mean, she is using those things. Like she comes in locked and loaded. She gets that jacket off and she knows what it is going to do to Michael. And it works over him. Like she can use her body for power there. But it's also something that like, that becomes the subject of ridicule. So she's not then taken seriously for her in that position, actually to be smaller chested was to her advantage in terms of being taken seriously. Like it's now that she's had this change that she's getting all of these comments before people thought that she was very beautiful and would comment on that, but it wasn't the same, um, like mocking of her and the really specific attention um to this part of her so it feels like it's this complicated power that she's playing mm-hmm. with and she gets mm-hmm. what she wants with michael though that's likely you know short-lived probably way of locking him down but she gets advantages with him but disadvantages with everybody else and maybe she doesn't care you know she stands out there by the water cooler confidently and kind of brushes things off of her sweater and doesn't seem to mind um but it's a it really shows it's a complicated thing to navigate the other thing that it reminds me of is the episode about the flashing a couple of episodes ago and when Dwight accidentally calls Phyllis phallus and the things about like phallic power so there's something different here about like is there a like a feminine version of this kind of body power, like this assertion of body power. And in some ways, yes. And in other ways, no, or in other ways it's different, but it, 
as we're talking about it, I'm just noticing a parallel there. I'm trying to come up instead of a phallic symbol, would it be like a mammary? Uh, mammary. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, mammaric power. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I like that. I think that that's really interesting. And I, I don't know, I was thinking about this is like just to the side of that, but how just how our culture interprets breasts like uh, without without any anything necessarily like like for example i was thinking about like friends of mine who have larger breasts and they will talk about how frustrating it is that sort of people will see them as sort of like as either being they'll see their breasts as like overly sexual in yeah. a way that they wouldn't with like smaller or you know um boobs i don't know what word to use now and uh so and how like if they wear something like that a person with smaller boobs wouldn't it would not be seen as inappropriate but just by virtue of having a larger body or more curves or whatever is seen yeah. as like more sexual yeah. um it gets coded as slutty or something yeah um i don't know it's it, like just an interesting problem i get well you know yeah. a, a fucked up one um yeah totally but, uh, which is the thing where for Jan, it's like she's like the way that people will talk about her, but the way that people will interpret her body. You're right. Like it's such a it's such a heavily burdened body part in so many ways. Yeah, like yeah. So many ideas and so much meaning that gets attached. And um it does so it's like changing that one thing about herself and changing this one aspect of her body. It's interesting how it, like it changes her relationships. It changes all these dynamics within the office, just walking in with those things. And, you know, it's saved her relationship. I mean, it's, I think that's the message of this episode, right? Michael says, here's the sitch. Two weeks ago, I was in the worst relationship of my life. She treated me poorly. We didn't connect. I was miserable. Now I'm in the <laughs> best relationship of my life with the same woman. Love is a mystery. Oh, but good job. Indeed it is. <laughs> and he's, got a long way. <laughs> he says to Jan, your or to Pam, sorry, your advice was good, but Jan's was bigger. Um, as if there was any doubt as to Michael's priorities here. Uh <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you have hope for their future relationship? I know you know where it's going, but um, you know. Um, you know, based on that description of being miserable. And there being this one, what did he say? Jan's argument is bigger. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how far this is going to take them. Um, but what about, so just to go to read into the record, Creed's full response, because you um, had mentioned that. And it's funny, it goes to all these like quick interviews. It's It's funny how it is something that is, for public comment and so it goes through a series of in, not only people talking to each other and reacting but actually individual interviews of what is your take on this yeah um, creeds i find it offensive how natural baby swing low sweet chariots i love that line swing low sweet chariots and that is one that i am just going to tuck away for all time as i age <laughs> 
um well so the parallel plot here i mean it's not much of a plot but it's i found it very charming is the dwight becomes manager plot and um it's really not too many scenes but we've got um the but i found all of them hilarious i thought dwight's like stole the show in a couple of these scenes so we've got um michael telling him that he's a manager and he cries profusely um mm -hmm. to a degree that michael is uncomfortable yes he, um is sort of squeezing an exercise thing i don't know if that's supposed to improve your wrist strength i don't know what it is a hand yeah um, what do you even call those that is that not the most old school piece of exercise equipment yeah, yeah. who works out their hands i like, have no idea i hope somebody's gonna up. write in and explain like these hand exercises i'd be um, very curious that that's something that younger people still use because my grandpa had those things and that feels to me like a very grandfatherly piece of exercise equipment and it makes sense that Dwight would have something that was from a different era um, actually it's funny I think I inherited that and I still have that thing in my house don't oh. use it. <laughs> but maybe I will yeah we well, need to get that hand wrist strength up you need to get that up. yeah yeah, so does it then, even do your wrist? I mean, you're really just squeezing it. I, I, I don't know. But then <laughs> he's doing that while he uh, checks um, Jim into Hotel Hell, mm -hmm. um, which I found to be very amusing, in which his um, he's co-running a bed and breakfast with the devil for $80,000 a year. <laughs> then that leads him to putting up the sign-up sheet for the assistance of the regional manager. Andy signs up for that. He's the only interview subject. And then Andy interviews. Um, so ironically, we get to see an interview in this episode, but it's not Michael's, Karen's, or um, uh, Jim's, but it's Andy's interview with Dwight. Um, yeah. So, oh, and then the only other bit there is Dwight, uh, like with um, Angela. Angela's sort of thrilled at his ascension to power and her yeah. mistaking initially that he's going to make her have sex with Michael or whatever because of ancient Rome. Um, <laughs> Oh, so yeah, what did you make of this this part of the whole uh, journey of Dwight? Well, I have to say, I really had you in mind as I watched it. And I was wondering, you know, does this feel like a triumphant moment for you as your hero ascends to power? <laughs> I loved it. I loved every second of it. I thought it was hilarious. And yeah, and, and it showed us the multiple dimensions of Dwight, you know, the kind yeah. of emotional, this odd emotional vulnerability, his yes. petulance relationship with jim uh and and with andy um yeah i don't know and then his weird kind of i don't know not to not to shame but like his relationship with angela strikes me as profoundly odd so yeah i don't know i liked all of that but i especially love the interview scene i don't know why but just like the back and forth between them and he's like don't mention cornell um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was like, Andy's doing pretty well uh, in this interview, I thought. I thought Andy did really well in this interview. What did you make of Dwight's interview questions, which were, what is the best color? How do you make a table? What is the capital of Maine? And not a question, but a measure of merit, arm wrestling. None of these things are relevant to the job. Uh but, you know, I kept wondering, you know, I'm really excited to talk about the next 
episode, like I didn't watch it, you know, because I didn't want to keep connecting yeah. in my head. Um, so I actually don't really remember how much or what, like, do we see everybody get interviewed or do we get different kinds of interviews? But I have to say, I sometimes am very skeptical about interviews as a function of hiring because mm-hmm. I worry that we tend to hire people that are really good at interviewing, but not necessarily good at whatever the job is because yeah. the skills of being a good interviewer don't always or necessarily correlate. Like you can be excellent in an interview setting, but shitty at you know some of the more mundane things you need to do. And so I actually felt like this satire demonstrated that or it's like you know you're asked questions or you know asked to do things or imagine scenarios that are kind of just like what for what is the job it's like pushing some paper sign I don't know so I I thought that that was funny but yeah totally yeah did you have a a thought on 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 Dwight's chosen questions well I really like your your point about the questionable nature of interviews and how accurately they actually are able to get information about the person who will come in. And it does, in giving us these ridiculous questions, it almost empties out interview content and gives us this just example of the form and of like, what is the, what is the thing that you do? So Andy's strategy, the one particularly when he answers, what is the capital of Maine? Um, which I am embarrassed to say I wouldn't have been able to answer accurately, but he begins from saying something about Montpelier, Vermont. Do you happen to have this quote up? Um, but like he starts, so he doesn't, and this is a move for interview. He doesn't know the answer. So he starts from this other thing and then like tries to walk himself toward it with the question, what is the best color? Well, there, where there's, of course, no answer, it, like it's an impossible question, but he goes in with confidence and with a really pretty solid answer. I think he says white because it contains all the colors. And then Dwight yeah. corrects him to know it's black because why is black the best color? Oh, because it's, uh, what does he say? It's like the absence it's of the color. Most dominant. It's the most dominant. The most dominant. The most dominant. Uh, yeah, table. Andy's answer to how do you make a table was really good. I think yeah. you make it and you don't sit on it. Yeah. <laughs> but what does that mean? I don't even understand what that means. It's kind of opens up an interesting philosophical question of what even <laughs> is the difference between a chair and a table. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I did wonder. I was like, are these supposed to be common like riddles that people ask in? <laughs> I remember hearing about, I don't know. It might have been around 2007 or 2008. There was always this kind of fantasy of like, oh, what if you got interviewed at Google? And the way that they interview you at Google and Facebook or whatever is never by asking you what you would do about the job, but it it gives you these bizarre logic problems to see how your mind works to solve it. And so I was wondering if that's- Yeah, that's that's how your mind works. And it does, I mean, I guess this does show us something about how Andy's mind works. And it usually goes back to Cornell. Like all roads lead to Cornell in Andy's mind. Yeah, yeah, I love that, Uh, uh, and I love his response when he's told to not mention Cornell anymore. He says, "I minored in history, or you know, that he studied the history of this company. It shouldn't be a problem. I minored in history in the Ivy League school which I attended." Yeah. (laughs) 
And I honestly died at Andy. So Dwight says, you're not off to a very good start, Bernard. Andy says, I agree. But in another way, I am off to a very good start, wouldn't you say? And um, <laughs> I I was like, that's a that that's a well, that's a good move, I thought. I was like, well played, Andy, um, to sort He's of turn good. it around. He seems like he'd be a good politician. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. It, it reminded me of when he's going off to anger management. He's like, I'm going to do positive mirroring and like nodding and yeah, eating yeah. people's names. I was like, okay, yeah. He's um, he's bringing back, he's definitely bringing back his skills. Um, the thing you said too about the range of Dwight, I thought was the other thing that really struck me here. Like when Michael gives him the letter that says, you know, hey, a wipe or something, like it's this crass and rude letter to promote him but Dwight cries so deeply until Michael is just disgusted kind of like when Dwight was trying so hard at the coal walk in order to get the job and it gets to the point where Michael's like this just the image of this is not good and so for him to go from that level of vulnerability and open weeping and then just the the difference in personality, although it's part of a coherent whole with when he's with the person who is higher than him in the hierarchy and when he's with the person who is lower or who he is putting lower, I guess. I mean, Jim isn't really technically lower, but he thinks Jim is going to be gone. So um, Dwight's Dwight's an interesting fellow, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where he where he takes this new position. I'm so excited for this. For the follow-up the uh i guess just one other semi-related thing it's not about dwight but i really loved the conversation with accounting when michael goes over and says that he's already sold his condo and they are so concerned like they're all asking you know you sold your condo who gave you that advice michael you should not do this i thought that was kind of a sweet conversation um should have consulted accounting. I know, I know. And call Carol, man. Call Carol. He sold it on eBay for 80% return. I was like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> but it sold in record time. So, you know, that's great. It did. One final thing about Dwight, actually. I realize I'm getting kind of out of out of sequence here. Although this is this is almost, I think I'm nearing the end. Um when Dwight says that his ideal choice for his number two would be Jack Bauer. And isn't he the guy who's in 24? So he's like an action. Right. Is he an FBI guy or something like that? I think something like that. I'll I can't remember what he does, but yeah, he's like an action kind of hero guy. Um, but I love Dwight's description of this, that his ideal choice, Jack Bauer, but he is unavailable, <laughs> fictional. And overqualified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's what I wanted to ask you. What fictional character would you like to have as your number two? Oh, whoa. It can be television. It can be literary. It could be a movie. You didn't prime me for this. I, I didn't know this was coming. I didn't coming. prime you for this because this is actually a tough a tough question. You I don't have I, an answer in the in the chamber, as they say. Are you yeah. ready to go? I was struggling. Well, I actually I I thought of this question before, and then I struggled to answer it for myself. The first 
fictional character I thought of was Holden Caulfield from The Catcher in the Rye because I feel like I just have such a an affection for him. But I don't really know that that's the right choice. As a high school student, I don't think he's overqualified, and you know, we're looking for that. Um, of course, Michael Scott is a consideration. And I think, though, I think Andy Griffith might be a good source to mine for this. I think Andy Griffith's number two, Barney Fife, would be a good number two to consider. But the other one who has just popped into my mind is Chris Farley in the movie Tommy Boy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Working for his dad's company and... Nobody thinks he he can do it because he's been going to college for seven years and kind of screwing up, but he proves that he can. And so he is another another person that I would really want on my interview list. I mean, I'm ashamed to admit that Dwight makes a great number two, and I would like him to be mine because he's so dedicated to the job and he's not going to, you know, yeah, I know he has ambitions and designs, but... His loyalty is really strong. That would be important to me. Um, but another character that came to mind is Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, who's like, you know, the sweet, um, hardworking janitor who's also, you know, uh, kind of an idiot. And uh, yeah. but his sweetness, I would really enjoy. And but he's also, you know, he's gonna he's gonna kill the rats. He's gonna do the the grunt work, um, yeah. which I need. I'm going to need that. Uh, somebody to take yeah. out the trash. I got to tell you, I actually, I, I think, I mean, I think Dwight is a perfect number two for you. Would you consider Toby? Would you interview Toby for this position? Oh, no, no, no. I just don't see it working out with Toby. You know, he's too milk toast. I need you something. You were so, what is happening with you? <laughs> I love him, but I just don't want to work with him. You know how like you don't necessarily want to work with your partner? You know, it's like, you know, it, it, fuck, marry, kill. You know, I'm married. Oh, work with your partner. So you would like Toby to be your life partner. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I think that he would make a better partner than he would. Uh, and I look, I know he's got a history of divorce. But Is it life I, partner, sexual partner, whatever, whatever partner category you're putting he'd be in. A, he'd be a very <laughs> tender lover. And, you know, he's... Uh, he's he's in hr right so he would know a lot about you know um enthusiastic consent and uh on the other hand hr is often the villain so i don't know yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a quandary i'll have to think more about this but um, <laughs> more thought yeah um, okay i have one final okay question one final area that i want to get your take on and i have just sent you a text of a couple of images because we get jim and karen out of the office and so i am curious what you think about their fashion outside of the office so karen in the office today i'll say i thought was looking quite cute she was wearing gray dress pants and a white button-down shirt with three-quarter length sleeves and a thin black belt now, when they go out to New York, she's wearing a sweater. It's like kind of a half sleeve length. It's open in the front. It looks purple. She's wearing jeans. They appear to be boot cut. She has a black leather purse. Jim is wearing jeans. They're pretty loose. And he's got a kind of checkered, checked button down shirt. In the daytime, he has it open with a gray t-shirt underneath. And at night, he buttons that thing up. So 
what did you think of the outfits? Any any thoughts? Did this alter your feelings about Jim in any way, seeing him out of his work wear? Yeah, I think he's way less sexy here. I was like, oh, and it's really? even worse. He comes out of spam a lot wearing the shirt. And I was like, what a nerd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. I, I kind of thought that he would lose you here. He lost me here. And I don't, I don't love a button up shirt over a shirt that it like a he's got like what color is his shirt underneath gray gray i just don't like it when it's unbuttoned like mm-hmm. i like layering and i'm not opposed at all to him having it buttoned up with a pop of gray or maybe even some color coming out underneath but mm-hmm. to just have it open i don't understand men that wear um button-up shirts just open like what are we doing like what are you even doing i don't get it and then i hate his jeans but, you know, this is just a, a, a general feeling I have. I don't like a loose jean, you know, sort of in general. I don't really want to go back to the 90s. Again, um, I think you were having a kind of a, a bias issue in terms of time period. Fair enough. It's 2007. It was a different... wearing tight little 2023 man jeans in 2007. It was not. I... It was not the same. I'm not giving up on the skinny jeans. I love a skinny. I love them. I, I like the the way they, you know. Still here. They were not there though. I know, but now we're being told we can't, we got to go away from them. I don't know, by people on the internet. But you know what? I think the greater sin here is Karen's um, boot cut jeans or what? I just don't like these. Don't I, I, don't think, you know, I, I loved her outfit in the office. In fact, I was like, mm, I'm taking notes. I like this blouse pant combo mm. and i just felt there i felt her you know power in it and uh and her confidence whereas here she just sort of recedes into the into the wall i don't know mm-hmm. it's I think, uh, you should, I think you should make note of that nice little skinny belt that she was wearing in the office okay Ooh, take nice. notes i think that was a nice look yeah, it's yeah. been interesting to walk around and really pay attention both on TV and like in real life to be like, oh, OK, oh, I want to try that. I want to wear that. Ooh, mm-hmm. look at that makeup. OK, do you is this what life is like for you? Do you walk around like sort of taking notes on people's, uh, you know, attire for your own self? Or is this just because I'm newly dressing as a woman? I think that I think that there's a different level of awareness like I like I notice those things and if somebody's wearing something where I'm like oh I really like that like I'll notice it I would say it to them um but I think sometimes when you're like when you're looking for something and looking for something that's new or different um like the stuff it just starts to pop out at you in the world at at a different level of um consciousness but but yeah I feel like I've always had awareness of you know can notice notice stylistic choices but yeah i thought they were they they were cuter in the office so Mm -hmm. all right you got anything else for us or shall we head on over to chili's head to chili's okay it is it is chili's dundee's time who's your dundee going to tonight well, first, I want to give an honorable mention. Um, the good uh, sportsmanship award goes to Michael Scott um, because okay. I thought that he 
you know, he contained his potential jealousy over um, David interviewing uh, Karen and Jim as yeah. well as other um, branch managers. I think usually we see him spiral a bit and I was like, hey, right on. And he didn't try to undermine them. Like, I actually thought that was where the plot might go, that he's going to try some harebrained scheme to undermine Karen and Jim. But in fact, he's like, no, let's convoy together. You know, yeah, that was so, very sweet, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was actually, you know, even though I get where they're coming from. Um, so there's that. Um, but I have a dual Dundee, and it is the uh, um, Emotional Magnificence Award. <laughs> And it goes to uh, Karen and Pam. Oh. And both of them are like honest mm -hmm. and, and bold in their emotions. And so we've already sort of talked about Pam's moment of doing that um, both with Karen and with Jim, but also, and she hasn't retreated. She didn't apologize for that part. Mm -hmm. And then Karen at the end is saying like, basic, like she's being very explicit, you know, we can't go or I can't be there. There's one too many people. You get yeah. that right. And he like, sort of acknowledges, but also doesn't really acknowledge what she's saying. Um, and but I thought it was like, badass that she's finally kind of putting it on the line and saying like, what is the plan? And how are you, are you going to prioritize me? So I thought both of them crushed it. Love it. Emotional Magnificence Award. That's beautiful. Well, I am going to give out tonight the Charming Dorkiness Award to Jim Halpert. The, I told you, I didn't think the haircut looked great, but I was charmed by the dorkiness of it. Also, you know, in his going out on the town outfit, he does not look super cool, but he does look like a nice guy. I also felt like the way that Jim and Karen approached being in Manhattan was so different. I thought that these might be irreconcilable differences. Mm. I think for some couples, this can work. I I don't think this is a good sign for Jim and Karen. So let me actually read this into the record. When they get to New York, they walk up out of the subway. And Karen says, so we have all night. Where do you want to go first? And Jim says, I don't know. How about the U.N.? And Karen asks, how often do you come here? And Jim says, mm, every time my sixth grade class goes on a field trip. And I just found it very charming and sweet how he just wants to do this like tourist thing. He's not really down with New York City. He doesn't know all of the hip things to do. He only knows the field trip thing to do. And all the stuff that Karen knows that Karen leads them through is very hip and it's more insider so when Jim describes what they did for the night, he says, yeah, we went to the spotted pig for the, the spotted pig for dinner. It's in the village. So even like you got to be, you're kind of like in it and hip if you're saying the village instead of saying Greenwich village, um, uh, Karen knew it. And then we second acted spam a lot. That's when you sneak in an intermission with all the smokers. And then we went to the, to a bar that used to be a church. Oh, and at this one bar, I swear I saw Lauren Michaels, the Saturday night live guy. And Karen's like, nope, wasn't him. So Jim is just this little country mouse in the city. And I feel like Karen is so cool and she's so fun. And those are all good things for Karen. But Jim, he's not cool like this. And I do think it's going to be a problem for their relationship. But I just found it charming that he was dorky and that he wanted to go to the UN. <laughs> so 
that's it. The other other small note that I want to make, I think we should add the word pathetic fill to our vocabulary. All right. Nerf has uh, joined it. I'm arguing for emotional magnificence and okay. pathetic fill is in the dictionary for us. So, <laughs> um, well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. We're going to be back. Uh, next episode is going to be season three, episode 25, the job part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will be the, the epic conclusion to our um, analysis of season three. So uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing it then. Right. Thank you for listening.